Good morning, everybody. Oh, man. My name is Mike Tackett, and I am the director of Children's and Family. I'm just saying y'all look a little different than my normal Sunday morning. They're usually about this big, and they all have the wiggles at this point in time. And so I'm just starting to feed them suckers so they're calm. It's a little different, but I'm here, and I'm excited to speak to you, with you, talk about the Bible with you today. It's incredible. I'm going to share a little bit about me. Um, I remember as when I was a kid, I wanted to be a wrestler. I watched the WWF every Friday night. Um, I think it was up there. Yeah. So I got to live my dream as a children's director. We get to wear costumes up there. And so I got to live my dream of being a WWF wrestler. And I would watch it every Friday night when I was a kid. Came on Friday nights and it was the greatest thing. Friday nights is when you had sleepovers. Me and my buddy would watch this on the TV. My parents had a downstairs kind of den, bedroom-ish. I don't know. We put a bed down there. And we would jump off the bed and I wanted to clothesline somebody so hard that they would flip. Yes? Any guys in here? Anybody wanted to do that when they were a kid? Just me. All right. It was so exciting. I wanted to do this. And as I got older, that, that dream kind of faded away. I think it was maybe my short stature. I don't think I'm as big as The Undertaker. I can't do those things. But I was influenced with my buddies, and we would wrestle all of the time. To bring to a point, influence is everywhere around us. We're influenced by a ton of things. We're influenced by the TV, like I was when I watched WWF. We're influenced now by social media. We're influenced by billboards. We're influenced by ads. It's everywhere around us. They want us to act a certain way. They want us to buy certain things. But even more these days, these ads, these commercials are on your phone. Yes? How many of you guys have a cell phone here? They're everywhere. I get texts all the time. I get random phone calls. I'm pretty sure most of you now know that your car warranty is expired. <laughs> yeah? I know. I know mine is. Probably it's been there for about three years. Or Brandon. How many of you guys know Brandon, our young adults pastor? He was searching, researching for a sermon and influence while he was researching this made him buy this special Bluetooth water bottle. It tells you when you're thirsty. It's incredible. He had no idea he wanted it or needed it until he was influenced to purchase it. Influence is everywhere. There's a rule in advertising. Somebody's got to see something seven or more times before they now think they want it. Right? You guys, we see it all the time. Seven or more times. These people on social media now, they have so many likes, so many followers that they're called influencers. That's their job title. I mean, that's a resume thing. What have you been doing in your 20s and 30s? Well, I was an influencer. What does that mean? I got on video and I videotaped myself doing stupid things. I made funny jokes. I sold this. I sold that. I had so many likes. I have so many followers that now I make millions of dollars posting three-minute videos about myself. I'm an influencer. It's incredible. Influence, like I said before, is everywhere. It's around us. Influence changes us. We see it, our small demeanors. It's a small, subtle movement in our lives. 
It's a quiet shift in our attitude. Sometimes it's the way we dress. Or maybe we begin hanging around a new group of friends because we've been influenced by this and we want to become like them. It's incredible how influence shifts us. Throughout my life, I've had a ton of friends. I am a social butterfly. I'm one of those introvert, extrovert people. I love people, but man, I need about three weeks to just not be around people to recharge. Anybody like that? You just love people, but you just need to be in a quiet place later on. Throughout high school, I was a cheerleader. I did marching band. I did wrestling. I'm telling you, I did it for a year and a half. I, I wrestled 102s. I was huge. And, and I had a ton of friends throughout all of these different things I did. And these friends made huge impacts on my life to this day. Most of them were positive. Some of them were negative. I'll never forget, I had a friend named Steve. I forgot his last name. His name was Steve, and he was in junior high. And I thought he was the coolest kid ever. Looking back, he is not so cool. But my mom prayed him out of my life. She's like, this kid is going to take my son away from me. He is not who should be with my son. I mean, Steve came over. I spent all of my junior high years with Steve every day. We had like four or five classes together. He would come home with me after school. We would hang out. We would play video games. He would spend the night. Steve was a huge influence in my life. But he wasn't a positive influence. He was a negative influence. And in high school, he went to go live with his dad across country, and my mom said it was the best answer to prayer I could have ever had. He influenced my life. He changed me. And I look back at that, and I, I just thank my mom for that all the time, for that prayer and that dedication, that discernment she had. It was incredible. But throughout my life, I've had three solid friends. I'm not sure. I think we showed the picture already. But this core group, they've come into my life through Sunday school. My first friend in first grade, we were in Sunday school forever together. Every Sunday, we were there. We had parents. It was morning, afternoon, night church, Wednesdays, random Thursdays. In high school, we would set up the auditorium together, a thousand plus chairs wheeling them out there and set row by row by row, and you would talk. This friend has been my friend since first grade. Now, we got in trouble every Sunday, every single Sunday. I can remember my Sunday school teacher telling me right now, Mike, Nick, and she would just point. It got to the point where we didn't, she didn't have to say anything after that. And sometimes she would just point, and we would have to go sit in the east corner or the far south corner of the group because we just always talked. We were great friends, and we got in trouble all the time. We were a mischievous bunch. His mom thought I was the bad influence. That wasn't the case. Nick was the bad influence, and it wasn't until we all got married, had families, until she realized, she was like, Mike, you're not the bad influence. I was like, no, no, Rita, I'm not. And she goes, I think my son was the bad influence. I'm like, yeah, we got into a lot of mischievous things together. 
He is now a senior pastor in Washington, leading a thriving ministry and just loves the Lord. It is incredible. Every Sunday. You can clap for that. I think it's incredible. Within this group, first grade, I had another friend who joined us. He had always been around. He joined us in fifth grade at Hume Lake Camp. And he had been there, and he joined Nick and I. His name was Matt. Um, Matt is not so mischievous as Nick and I, so Matt brought a different influence into our group. He was a little more subtle. He made us stop and think before we did our stupid teenage stuff. Yes? We played BB gun wars. We would jump off the roof onto the trampoline, into the pool, all of these fun different things. You guys looked at me like you've never had a BB gun war before. <laughs> it's fun. But Matt would make us stop and think. We would still do it, but he made us stop and think. He was that guy. He says, wait, should we? Okay, yeah, let's do it. And then we would go and we would shoot each other with BBs until one of us got hurt and then we would stop. That's just what happened. Then we had Tony. Tony came in in our college years. You would think we would ramp up to our craziness. No, we're ramping down. Our high school years were the pinnacle of our crazy. Tony came in and he wanted nothing of the crazy stuff. Oh, I forgot to tell you, Matt is also a pastor in Northern California. And he leads a discipleship and he writes Bible studies and he is in the middle of his Old Testament doctorate, Old Testament theology doctorate in England. It, he's just a smart fella, I'm telling you. And so, you can clap for that. He's doing amazing things. So Tony came in. Tony is in our college group. He was a little more level-headed. He didn't want any of this crazy stuff. And by that time, we were not as crazy. But he is a great guy. And he brought in a lot of thought into the group. He is now an architect. He's not a pastor. But he runs a solid Bible study home group. And his home group, his church has rules for the home group. You can allow 20 people, and if you have more than 20 people, you've got to split that home group, and then you have to build up a leader in that home group to have another home group. Make sense? So fortify more home groups. He has split his home groups 10 times. So all these guys in my life, influence after influence, mischievous after calming have all been a positive influence throughout my life. These guys still are an influence in my life. We call each other, not all the time, because let's face it, men, we don't call each other all the time. We call each other maybe once every other month, and we call it all the time. But we call each other, and we pray for each other over the phone. We call each other when we're down or when we're struggling with something. We meet each other, we hang out, but we're still in each other's lives. It's great to have these three core friends in my life to be that solid biblical influence 24-7. I know that if I picked up the phone right now, even though Nick is pastoring, he would text me, I can't call you later. Or I can't call you right now. I can't talk and call you later. That thing. But he's on the pulpit. He would pull it out and he would do it because it's me. It's pretty cool to have friends like that. It's pretty cool to be influenced in that manner. But as our college years, we definitely had humility abroad, brought upon us. We definitely learned how to be humble with one another. It takes a moment to call your buddy and say, I need help. I need prayer. 
It takes a lot of humility to ask for prayer, to say, I'm in a spot that I cannot do it myself. And these guys have taught me humility. I have one more story to tell you about humility, and it's recent. I was just humbled probably about, I would say, maybe a month and a half, two months ago. And it's still, it, it doesn't hurt me. It brings to light in this memory. I was humbled, and I was humbled by a friend. My wife and I just bought a house. We needed some things, and this person said, let me get that for you. Let me buy that for you. And if you know me, I am not a very good gift receiver. I love giving gifts. It's my, that's my outgoing love language. I don't know what my ingoing love language is quite yet. I think it moves. But I'm not a very good gift receiver. It's hard. I mean, I know what to do. My mom taught me, right? She said, say thank you and, you know, write a thank you note. All those things. I can, I can do those things. But I don't know how to internally receive a gift. My first reaction is, no, it's okay. So that was my first reaction to this person. No, it's a, we'll be fine. This person looked me dead in the eye and said, are you too prideful to accept my blessing? That hurt. It hurt in a good way. It was a positive slap in the face. My pride was exposed. My humility took center stage, and I was vulnerable at that moment in time. And they said, don't be too prideful to accept my blessing. Let me give this to you. I want to give this to you. That was tough. That was hard to accept that humble gift in a humble fashion. I was too prideful in that moment to say, yes, I do need help. We do need help. And God put them in that moment to help us. Paul talks about this in Philippians, in our verse, Philippians 2. We're going we're gonna to travel around. I'm going to go through four different snapshots today to discuss humility and how we can see Jesus' life display this humility and how we need to be humble and accept this humble gift he's given us. In Philippians 2, chapter 2, 3, verse 5, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Your attitude should be that of Christ Jesus. Forbes magazine, I know, crazy. Forbes magazine has 13 characteristics of a humble person, which some of them include. I'm not going to do all 13. Humble people are situationally aware. They retain relationships they put others first. They listen. And they take time to say thank you. And they start sentences with you rather than I. Do you guys know somebody who's humble? I know a lot of people who are humble. And I should emulate them all the time. These are decent starting points to help us describe and define what humility is. But in order to do that, we've got to look at Jesus. We have to look at his life, how he lived, how he came, how he lived, how he died, 
and how he lived again. We get to look at these and put on display the humility and learn from this. All right, so hopefully your guys's, as I tell the kids, your Bible thumbs are warmed up, yes? If you haven't been doing this, do a little bit of it. We're going we're gonna to thumb through some. Scene one, how he came to earth. In Luke 2, Luke chapter 2, verse 5, he, Joseph, went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. Jesus was not born into a kingdom, draped in royal clothes and placed in a royal crib. Mary was not attended to by many servants while Joseph lounged around and waited for his son to be born. Nope, Joseph, Joseph, or Jesus was born to an infant genocide, to an oppressed minority and peasant parents. It meant that Jesus chose to grow up in a shamed religious culture to a scandalous pregnancy, worked a simple blue-collar job in a rural village. This shows us that God humbled himself to become an influencer from within his people. Not from the outside, from a place of social or financial status. This beginning to his influence was not one of grand entrance, flashy camera angles, or fraught with glitz and glamour. Nobody looked at Jesus' entrance into the world and said, yes, let me be born in the way he was. Nobody looked up Jesus' humble upbringing and agreed that this is the way of the Lord, the life of the Savior, the birth of the King of Kings. Nobody looked at his entrance and was influenced to want the same. People didn't start to scramble for Airbnbs or VRBOs and barns to go have their children. No, this was a quiet entrance, celebratory of who Jesus was and to become and what he was to do. That's how he came, a very humble entrance. Scene two, how he lived. Luke chapter four, verse one through 12. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, was led by the Spirit in the desert where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end, he was hungry. Jesus did not begin his ministry with all the new teachings to large crowds or to grand miracles and grand signs of wonder. He didn't start producing the largest stream videos on YouTube. No, he started with a fast. A fast for 40 days. Jesus didn't pop on Instagram and guide everybody through his fast either. He didn't sit around his village telling his village people what he was not going to eat or to drink, hoping that it would help them lose a couple pounds. No, he did it in solitude. He did it alone and away from any support. Now, Jesus squares up to the tempter in this passage, a one-on-one -on -one battle, mano y mano, in a place where only the two of them took part. 
On the surface, these three temptations that the, the devil tried to tempt Jesus with, they don't look too bad. And it's not that they would influence you to live a life of sin if you fell into these temptations. It's not like these things were fight with your neighbor, steal money out of your parents' wallet, cheat on your spouse. Nah, these are pretty simple, in fact. But Satan was proposing something different with these temptations. He was proposing a shortcut. He was trying to influence Jesus to take the easy route to salvation. The simple, this simple route doesn't include humbling himself in front of everybody. The temptation of this shortcut route doesn't include death on a cross. Satan tries to influence Jesus through these shortcuts. Eat bread without tilling the soil and waiting on the crop to grow to make the bread. Or instant popularity through a spectacle of flying. Be a king without ever becoming a servant. Wear a crown without ever wearing a cross. Redeem the world without ever suffering. Now, we know that Jesus did not fall into these temptations. Instead, he decided to raise up a new generation through quiet influence, through subtle teaching and under-the-radar miracles. People followed Jesus not because he was flashy and had all the new clothes or knew all the right people, but because his subtle influence was greater than the noise of the elite. Jesus was confident in himself. He is confident in his humility. Don't hear me wrong. Confidence and pride are not the same thing. Jesus knows exactly who he is. He is socially aware of how to be humble and confident in his heavenly Father and his identity in him. Scene three, how he died. Back to Philippians chapter two, verse eight. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The influence of humility is different throughout time. To modern ears, the influence of Jesus claiming to be Lord is incredible to us. Somebody claiming to be Lord would make us double-take nowadays. If somebody got on TikTok and began claiming to be Lord, we would write them off as crazy. In ancient ears, the influence of a God that bleeds is incredible. A God that would sacrifice for us in order to have a relationship with us is the grand influence. This is humility displayed on a cross. Jesus didn't talk about being a humble leader. He didn't just wash his disciples' feet and call it a day. Jesus humbly carried the cross to the hill without retaliation. Jesus humbly accepted being spat on and disgraced for us. He didn't complain. He didn't announce that he should be exalted for doing this. He didn't go on social media. He didn't take a picture with the guards to say what he was doing. 
No, Jesus humbly crawled upon that cross to bear our sins for our salvation. No shortcuts, no glory to be revealed at that time. Just punishment and death. Scene four. How he lived again. This is the best part. He didn't just die and stay dead. He lived again. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to glory of God the Father. Amen. When Jesus arose from the grave, he did so quietly in the calm hours of the morning. He revealed himself to people in their homes and on the roads, but never in awesome reverence like he could have. The influence of Jesus that Jesus gave us is to be humble, to have the greatest humility and confidence in him. He humbly did the hard work for us. His attitude of humility is on display everywhere for us to follow. It's printed everywhere for us to read about. We hear about it every Sunday and in every Bible study we hear about Jesus and his humility. It is all around us. It should influence us to change the way we are. It should influence us not subtly, and not slowly, but instantly. The instant we believe, the instant we decide to follow Jesus in his humble path forward. Now, I'm going to challenge you all, just as Paul challenges us. We're challenged to put Jesus' humility and act like Jesus. We need to put that on trend. We need to put that everywhere, in our workplaces, in the grocery store, with our family, with our friends. We need to be influenced by our, they need to be influenced by our humility and by our attitude, which should be like that of Jesus Christ. To be influenced by Jesus is the one big, grand gesture. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for displaying your humility. Thank you so much for allowing us to follow that. Heavenly Father, I ask today that as we leave here that we are challenged and that we are pressed to be humble. Lord, that when we feel that pride rising up, when we feel that moment of maybe we just can't be humble, Lord, that you will help us that you will give us that gift, that you will send somebody to gently remind us to be humble. Lord, we thank you for your gifts. We thank you and we humbly accept them. Lord, you are incredible. We ask you to bless this day and bless this prayer in your precious holy name, Jesus Christ. And we all said, amen.